The title for the sermon or message is even is want to play the slots. And you see on the left there, a slot machine where you just plunk in and see what used to be quarters or nickels or pennies or dimes. And now you just put in a little token or a strip of paper and just pull down a lever. And if it gets uh, the right matching pattern, then you can win hopefully a lot of money. I don't know how many of you guys play the slots. Um, uh, gambling could be a real serious problem we have in America, not only there, but throughout the world. And Asians are especially uh, vulnerable to gambling. That's why you see so many of these gambling uh, casinos, you see the uh, television advertisement, they cater towards the Asians to get more Asians to come to this or that Indian casino and to play the slots and roulettes and craps and all that. Well, uh, last week, my family and I, uh, there is uh, me on the left with Julie and then Brian and Julian and my wife, Luan. We took a vacation to Lower Antelope Canyon. Look at those beautiful rocks out there. And we, on the way back, we stopped to Las Vegas. We went to Circus Circus. And you can see all the shows and the performers. And Brian had a wonderful time, especially with Julian, playing a lot of the arcade games and winged stuffed dolls and animals. And you might ask yourself, what is a slot canyon? Well, a slot canyon, some of you may have been to before. You might find, see at various places, but a slot canyon by definition is an eroded geological feature underground for the most part, but not necessarily, with a 10 to one or greater ratio of depth to height to width. Meaning that the opening, as you see at the top on the left, that the depth or the height of it is 10 or more times deeper than the openings wide. So we're talking about like long, narrow, see, uh, crevices uh, for the most part beneath the ground. And on the right, you see the swirl as you look at the top there, looking up to the canyon there. It's not like the Grand Canyon, which looks like a layered cake, like you see on the left, a layered cake, where all the lines are nice and neat straight lines. But a slot canyon looks more like pole taffy, like a machine that's making, see, swirl taffy, saltwater taffy candy or something like that. Or see, uh, uh, in Chinese, they have, uh, uh, see, uh, dragon beer candy where you had these long stringy things out there. And we found it was a, a lower the Antelope Canyon and upper Antelope Canyon. Hmm. Was going to lower rather than upper a good gamble? With the amount of time we had, we had to choose to go to the lower canyon, which we see on the right, or the upper Antelope Canyon on the left. And Julian, I mean, my daughter, Julie, uh, booked a ticket for the lower. But it made Lauren ask a lot of questions. Wonder what the upper is like. And I thought upper meant a uh, higher latitude, like mean further north, a couple of miles. 
She said she thought it meant it's above ground. And I said, no, I don't think so. Well, I gambled and said that, and I was wrong. Loan was right. The upper Antelope Canyon is a couple of miles uh, away from us, but it's called Upper Antelope Canyon because it's above ground, whereas what we went to was below ground. So was that a good gamble? Okay, well, Upper Antelope, like you see on the left, is above ground and has midday light beams, which you don't see where we were. And I said, oh, look how beautiful the light beam is on the left. We could see that. We could have went there, but we went to the one on the right. Then I looked into it further and found out that maybe Julie did make a good gamble. Well, there's a difference between the upper and the lower. Found out that the light beam in the upper canyon is only from mid-June to mid-September. It's only at certain hours of the day when the light will shine through. It costs a lot, lot more and has less unusual features and colors. Hey, so maybe uh, Julie made a good gamble. We went there, we chose the right one. Besides, I found out that the upper canyon has a lot, lot more visitors. There's two-way traffic, so people are coming left and coming right, coming from towards you and coming from behind you. And it's a short path. Uh, when we went on the uh, lower canyon, we went a little bit, and Julie uh, said, okay, that's it. And I found out that wasn't even close to being it. She thought when we made a uh, turn, and we saw a ladder along the side, that that was the ladder to go back up. Well, we were wrong. There was a lot, lot more to see. But the upper, it's a short walk path. It's like a short walk. Whereas what we went to on the uh, lower canyon was more like a hike, a real hike. And whereas we were able to talk a lot with our Navajo Indian guide, uh, and the upper, the guides have a strict time schedule which they try to move you along to get you out because so many people go through it. So I guess for paying less money, taking our time, a nicer, longer walk, less uh, of a crowd, I guess we had a pretty good deal. But things aren't always like that in life. And when you look at these unusual formations, how do you think these canyons form? Do you like to make a bet? How slot canyons form? Maybe you might hit the jackpot and you discover it and maybe you could become famous. You look at these bands. Uh, evolutionists say that these bands represent time periods of desert formation and windstorm and rain and then desert formation. And they got bent by the earth and all. And they could be separated time by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years. But is this how it really formed? Well, it's not just like in slot canyons like Antelope Canyon, but throughout the southwestern United States, throughout most of Utah and Arizona, you see like in the uh, Escalante staircase, you find that these things like a staircase, they're bent. 
but there is the band, but how did they form? Were these layers truly millions of years like textbooks would lead us to believe? Would you bet your life on it? There's a problem. A uh, PhD geologist, when I went to the Grand Canyon, see, about uh, two months ago, said hardened rocks do not bend. They fracture. If they bend, they will crack. And you see all fissures all along the way. Unless they were softened because they are water-laden. And when they get softened, you see a lot of water and they hadn't hardened yet, then they could be bent without cracking. But if they were water-laden and they have millions of years, or hundreds of thousands of years piled up and pile up and pile up and pile up, then the bottom layer would be so compacted that the density of the uh, uh, particles, the porosity, would be closer packed in than the ones at the top because of all the weights on top of it. But the problem is when we look at Antelope Canyon, when we look at other slot canyon, we find the density of the rock from top to bottom to be all the same. The particles are not more compressed. They're all the same, which means they're not separated by millions of years, but they were formed at about the same time underwater. I think you know what I'm trying to get at. This evidence here better fits an explanation supportive of what the Bible teaches than what many textbooks teaches. When we see these swirls like, uh, like pulled up taffy, they have to be all softened at the same time and you pull the salt, salt water taffy candy like to eat. You didn't have some pieces hardened for years and then pull the taffy because then the taffy will snap. Well, would you bet your life on see, believing everything you heard? When you go to Las Vegas, you're trying to cater to all the Asians. Oh, you see all these slot machines that have Chinese characters here. You see the word for water and fire and uh, see uh, characters for money and and uh, trees and plants and see uh, earth or property. But did you know that slot machines are programmed so that you will win something, usually small. You throw in dollars in the olden days, you throw in like dollars and you might win 50 cents. You pull down slots and then nothing, you pull down your slots and then you put us, ah, two quarters came out, but you end up putting a dollar or you end up pulling three dollars. But you only win about 30% of the time. They program in this way so that uh, they will always come out ahead. It doesn't matter if someone wins a jackpot, they will always end up ahead. Las Vegas and these gambling casinos are there to make money. They're not there to lose money. But they don't mind giving out a little bit of money at times, so they win up in the long time. Which is why when I go to Las Vegas, I set a limit. I would never spend more than $25 in any kind of gambling. But to be honest, the last time I gambled any money at Las Vegas was about 20 years ago. 
So maybe I should up it up to $40. I don't know. But anyway, so I go there. Not, gambling doesn't appeal to me very much. But we're going to talk a little bit about what the Bible says about this here. And you see here how they're trying to appeal to the Asian community. Win, win some, deem some. Oh, boy. Well, some of the slot machines are, are programmed so they win only 20% of the time. Some as much 35 So people walk the machine to machine and see which machine seems to Hey, that one seems like it's, it's hot over there. That one seems to win all the time. So when someone leaves, you want to jump to that one. Because you might win 35%. But guess what? You still will end up losing more than you will end up winning. Okay. Would you gamble if your chance of winning was like the slot canyons? Only 10%. Slot canyons, the depth to width is only a 10 to 1 ratio. Look at this here. Thai flowers. Oh. Look at that pretty Thai girl here. Would you gamble if your chance of winning was only 10%? Well, what's your risk? Ah, look at this. Okay. Okay. Uh, every year, you'll have more. Well, again, it's not like retirement. The whole idea is that year by year, you're going to accumulate a little more than you had before the Chinese character. What's your risk? Oh, go ahead and play. People say, it's just money, right? What have you to lose? Perhaps you might get lucky. And you see the sign here in Las Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I think you know what that means there. The, the whole message is that you can misbehave, do bad things in Las Vegas, get drunk, flirt with girls, waste money. And get away with it because no one pays attention to it. Because everyone, yeah, you look left and right, you see people getting drunk left and right. People, oh, the head buried in their hands with after they lost so much money. Or people flirting with girls. You don't know if that's a girlfriend or if that's a wife or who it is. But no one seemed to pay attention because you see it all around you. So the whole idea is what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. The whole idea is the temptation. Go ahead, misbehave, because you you may be able to get away with it because no one seemed to pay attention to you. But what would you do? But would you do something bad if there's a 10% chance of getting caught? What if it's only 1% chance of getting caught? Would you risk an experimental surgery if your chance of Surviving is only 10%. What if you're in surgery and you're half unconscious? You're not fully underneath the uh, anesthetic and you hear the doctors, oh, you're, you're, you're groggy, you hear the doctors and say something like the following. You hear the doctor or nurse say, or nurse says, remember what happens on the operating table stays on the operating table. And you hear and you can't move. Can you imagine how, how you might be like, what are they talking about? Uh, am I in trouble? What happens on the operating table stays on the operating table. Well, I don't think you'll be encouraged 
or inspire if you hear it. In fact, you might start worrying, but hopefully you just fall under the anesthetic and go to sleep here until the procedure is over. The Bible does not specifically condemn gambling. So the Bible does not condemn gambling. It, it rarely mentions it. The Bible does not specifically uh, uh, condemn betting or the lottery. It does, however, warn us to stay away from the love of money. The whole idea to get rich quick scheme. The Bible in Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is true wealth. That is true riches. Riches in God. Riches in spiritual blessing. Riches in prospect of eternal life in heaven. Do you believe that? Would you bet your life on it? I would. I've looked all around the world. I've examined different religion, different philosophies. I examined science. And yes, I would bet my life that the Bible is reliable and Jesus was raised from the dead. Uh, Anthony, if you're on the line, would you mind reading that scripture there from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10? Yes. People who want to be rich bring temptation to themselves. They bring are caught in a trap. They begin to want many foolish things that will hurt them. These things ruin and destroy people. The love of money causes all kind of evil. Some people have turned away from what we believe because they want to get more and more money. But they have caused themselves a lot of pain and sorrow. All right. So the Apostle Paul wrote to the young Timothy to warn them to what's called the pastoral epistles. When you minister to the people, you're going to encounter many people in life that they live for money, um, keeping up with the Joneses, uh, trying to get ahead. All they want is power and control. Now, the Bible does not condemn being rich. They just mentioned there are dangerous pitfalls in being rich. If you can be rich and uh, maintain a richer faith in God and use money to help people that I think would be uh, wonderful that is a blessing that you can bless others but don't make a gathering money and becoming rich and having fancy car your aim in life I drove to Gene's house uh, yesterday and he looked at uh, Luan's BMW and he said wow he said I never uh, roll in a luxury car before and, and I said, so he asked if he could drive this sure go ahead and drive it here but, you know having a nice car is nice but what's nicer is not having a nice car it's having faith in Jesus Christ having him by your side to go through life that's far more important and having a loving spouse who believes in God, who shares the same faith, that's priceless. Well, while the Bible doesn't mention uh, gambling specifically, it does mention about luck or chance. 
if an archaeology, here you see in pictures above, some ancient, see, uh, Egyptian and Babylonian and uh, see Roman dice that we have uncovered in uh, archaeology. And, you know, they're not uh, too unlike a lot of uh, dice that we find in the world today. The Bible mentioned the book of Leviticus, uh, that to choose between the sacrificial goat and the scapegoat, where one would be sacrificed in blood and uh, sins will be placed ceremony on a scapegoat that will be chased away. It's to symbolize that there will be a blood sacrifice in the future that will do away with the sins of the people. And as we know from the Bible, this pointed to Jesus Christ, the innocent uh, lamb who shed his innocent blood so that whosoever believe in him and follow Jesus may not have to die, but have the prospects of eternal life. And Joshua cast lots to determine uh, should the allotment of land, which lot uh, see, uh, will go to which tribe of Israel. And Nehemiah cast lots to determine who would live inside the walls of Jerusalem. So we talk about things like casting lots by chance and the apostles they cast lots to determine who is going to replace the uh, uh, Judas Iscariot the apostle who betrayed Jesus and in Proverbs 16:33, the Bible says the lot is cast in the lap but it's very decision is every decision is from the Lord so when the uh, priests or the prophet of God cast lots it's God who guides it. But when people see roll dice, it's through trickery. They'll try to flick of the wrist to see to seek gain after themselves. And uh, David, would you like to read Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 for us? Um, yeah. Um, wealth cannot buy happiness. Those who love money will never be satisfied with the money they have. Those who love wealth will not be satisfied when they get more and more. This is also senseless. Thank you very much. And, and you know, you've heard stories about people who won the lottery that within a few years, all the millions they won were wasted away. And many of them were in further debt than when they started. Many of them see are in a worse state. They lost friends. They lost family members, people who came after them because now that you're the rich one of family, they, everyone wants to be your friend now. But wealth cannot buy happiness. You must have happiness with what you have, happiness in the Lord first. And if perchance some good wealth come your way, then so much the better because your happiness was never dependent upon having uh, that special car or special house or anything like that here. You must remember what the Bible says and understand life. You have to understand not everything that happened in Vegas stays in Vegas. And you know what I'm talking about. The coronavirus is our problem now. Breaking news. Uh, Californians contract COVID-19 at a Las Vegas casino. And from there, it spread as people left the casino and it spread to other parts of the 
country and other parts of the world because they went for a stay in Vegas. And I know of some people who have actually visited Las Vegas, came down with the COVID and have actually died. And I'm talking about young people as well. So you have to remember, don't depend on the advertisement of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas and all the propaganda about riches, you're going to strike it rich. Don't believe everything you read in textbooks. Trust what the Bible says because I happen to have looked into these things and I've compared. If you want to talk about this, please talk to me and I'll be happy to talk to you here. Look here. Would you be looking down after greedy gain or would you rather be the one who looks up in faith? The Bible says that at the crucifixion of Jesus, there were the Roman soldiers who started gambling for his garment. They'd be rolling dice to see who would get it. But yet at the same time, there was a centurion, the leader of the soldiers. He looked up to faith. According to uh, the Bible, that's all we know is that when Jesus died, he said, truly, this was the Son of God. Well, here's some background history. The uh, Greek Orthodox Church has made this man, the centurion, by name Longinus. He is a, a saint in the Greek Orthodox Church. And according to Roman Catholic as well as Greek Orthodox tradition, the story goes as follows. Hear me, because you probably haven't heard of this. That when the spear pierced Jesus' side, the Bible says, out came blood and water. Well, Longinus supposedly had a eye disease on one of his eyes that plagued him, that bothered him greatly. And according to tradition, some of the blood or water splatter on his face. And miraculously, that disease was instantaneously cured. And he was startled. The experience was so moving that when he died on the cross, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. And when later when the Jews went to Pilate and said that, hey, the, the disciples might try to steal his body, you better post some guards, uh, extra guards. So see, Pilate, see, posted guard and a sign. Yes, that same Longinus, the centurion, to be in charge of that detail. And they will be camped outside with members of the Sanhedrin, the high priest and others. They had several camps and tents outside the tomb. And when the angel appeared on what we call Easter, Resurrection Day, the stone was rolled away. He witnessed the resurrection. The guards were see, stunned by what they saw. They were rendered unconscious. And according to uh, tradition, Longinus and his band of soldiers who stood guard there, they were see the Jewish authorities said, oh gosh, if, if Pilate found out that he got away, uh, some of the others might be angry at us and might stone us. And they tried to bribe the soldiers and Longinus, but they refused to be paid for their silence. 
Later on, Longinus declared his faith in Christ and the resurrection, and he was baptized after he left the military. So he was baptized for the remission of his sins. He went and was baptized in the water, immersed. And then they went out and preached the gospel, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he is alive and well throughout the area of Cappadocia. And on the left, you see a stained glass of that centurion, Longinus, who witnessed the resurrection. Truly, this man was the Son of God. Okay. Well, some of you might like to gamble. Blase Pascal, the great mathematician, physicist, inventor of an adding machine, the first Western adding machine, the Chinese had the abacus already. And a theologian, he set forth what has become known as Pascal's wager. Oops, that should have been a, a, a possessive apostrophe, not a semicolon there. And he says, the wager is this. What have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? Here's his wager. Either there is a God or there is no God. Pascal says, I believe in God. Some of you say, I don't believe in God. You're atheist. What's the consequence? If there is no God, what happens to me? I'm wrong. Okay. I die, turn to dust. Nothing happens. And if you're right, there's no God. Guess what happens? Nothing. You die, you turn to dust. You're not any better off than me. I'm not any worse off than you. Because what? What if I'm right and there is indeed a God? Then I had the prospect of eternal joy in heaven. And if I'm right, you atheists, what is your prospect? You suffer eternally. Eternal joy, bliss, or suffering, punishment. And of course, uh, what that punishment is may not be necessarily literal fire, as you hear. That's the subject of another discussion here. But the bottom line is what Pascal is saying. Look at the consequence. If you believe in a God, you have a chance of immeasurable joy. But if you want to bet on atheism, you have nothing to look forward to. Nothing. You just live like an animal, and that's all there is to it. You die, you turn to dust, okay, so be it. Wager, but wager carefully. And in James chapter 4, verse 13 to 15, the Bible, as we conclude, says, Some of you will say, today or tomorrow we'll go to some city, we'll stay there a year, do business and make money. Listen, think about this. What is your life? You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Your life is like a fog. You can see it for a short time, but then it goes away. So you should say, if the Lord wants, we will live and do this or do that or do money or make business or live there. Think about, let God plan your life here. So, my encouragement to all of you, as I get ready to turn things over to 
uh, Chen. I hope you're a betting person. Uh, if you gamble, gamble see wisely. Don't let it control you. I would never condemn you see gambling because the Bible doesn't condemn gambling. But the Bible condemns the love of money. So if you want to gamble just for the fun or experience, yeah, go ahead. But don't let it control you. Don't get addicted to gambling and end up losing your car, losing your the shirt off your back, or losing your house. Do so wisely and set a limit. Like I did uh, 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. I said, oh, I'm not going to let Vegas get all my money. Hey, one year, one year, I really hit the jackpot. I won $32. $32. But when you consider all the years I've been to Las Vegas, I probably end up lo losing probably about $100. I don't gamble much. But I came out one time, I hit my $32. Like that here. So, but anyway... I will let you go at this time. Place your bet on God. And I want to encourage you to explore this further and look at the odds and compare, consider Pascal's wager. Have faith in the scriptures.